It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Welcome, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or comment, you can email me at msoci at WFYI.org. Also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which is at WFYI.tumblr.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't, I don't get to say this much often, very often with this program, but you are about to encounter... A very special film sociology, uh, one one for the children and one for the family. So, uh, and I have two guys I've been wanting to get as a trio for a while. But I'm going to start with, uh, sir, if you could verbally sign in and your position here at WFYI. Yes, thank you, Matt. My name is Chris Elberfeld, and I actually work in the television production department as a director of photography. But uh, Matt and I, when we first met. Uh, I think one of the first conversations we had was a uh, this a subject quote, quote for quote yes of on, this film so of this film now yes. now our other guest well if you're a longtime listener you know him you know him so well he has his own intro Lawrence Lawrence of Arabia he's an English guy he came to fight the Turkish okay Clark right there that's what I'm talking about Lawrence of Arabia. Doesn't have any lyrics to it. Doesn't have any words. What do you mean doesn't have lyrics? It's music. To it. It's music. Hey, I've seen the movie four times. And there were no words to it. What are you? There are no words to that. There are, hey, you, some, did you hear what I was saying earlier? Somewhere I know that somebody I think wrote lyrics to this song. And Mike Perry's in the house. <laughs> well, someone had to write lyrics to that song. <laughs> How else, how else would he be singing it? Exactly, exactly. So, uh, Mike, Chris, thanks for hanging out. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, what, yeah, what brings this trio together besides odd taste in films and camaraderie? Uh, from 1980, a film called The Hollywood Nights. And uh, that's what we're talking about today because, quite honestly, I didn't get a chance to see the, the big blockbusters opening this weekend. And, frankly, I don't want to. So I want to, I want to talk about this. <laughs> we were able to uh, finagle all of our schedules together as one. These are three separate zip codes happening at the same time, folks. So uh, your pledge dollars at work. <laughs> and what, what a better way to spend your pledge dollars than talking about this film. WFYI.org slash give. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, Chris, uh, I know Chris and I and Mike and I talked about this film early on when we first got to know each other and this is 
Now we are, we are men of a certain age, not the HBO series, but uh, but but we are of a certain age. This is probably one of the top quoted films of our canon, or at least of our department. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. We we don't have a list, but there are certain ones you could quote along quite often. Yes. So this is another timeless classic from that. Uh, from that decade, from that niche. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the era that gave us Porky's and uh, uh, name another one. Caddyshack, Shack, Caddy, Caddy, Caddy yeah. Shack. Yeah. Last yeah. times at Ridgemont High. There's, there have been, and it's funny because I, as I was setting this up, I had uh, a dear friend on uh, on social media, Hi Money Penny, who was who was dying to find out what we were talking about, and uh, she she gave a couple good guesses, mm-hmm. but we'll get to those in a little bit. But I, but yeah, this was the at the height of the R-rated slob comedy. Yeah. Which I think starts in the mid seventies, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. For me, the Hollywood Knights is the most underrated of the group. People know Porky's, people know Animal House, people know Caddyshack, but this was one. It, it was it was a smaller film. Um, mm-hmm. it, not really. I'm, I sound like Mel Kiper under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is one of those when Tony Danza is your big name because he was doing Taxi at yeah, the time. He had it, just it, started doing Taxi, right? And I heard on the I listened to the DVD commentary. That's right. I did this for you people. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he was Tony was filming Taxi by Day and then coming and shooting this at night. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll start with uh, first off, it's set in uh, Beverly Hills, nineteen sixty five, and Tubby's Drive In, which which apparently, according to the slob, the snobs, which is this is your typical slob versus snob story, um, the drive in is being closed and they're gonna you know pave paradise and put up a an office building. Sorry, Joni Mitchell. And uh, it's the kids' last night uh, of camaraderie at Tubby's on Halloween night, which we'll get to in a little bit, mm-hmm. especially Calif- Southern California Halloween nights. And uh, so anyway, I guess, Chris, do, do you remember the first time you you experienced this film? I do, and I think it was on HBO, believe it or of not. Of I mean, course. Yep. It was on, uh, it was, I was probably over at a, a buddy's house, because I don't think I had HBO as a kid, but uh, a friend of mine had it, and I, and. and Saw a bunch of those movies from the late '70s and early '80s as they, you know, I don't, I don't know how much time Hollywood Nights spent in the theaters, but not as long as it did on cable. Oh yeah, yeah. but but I mean, I, I can remember just you know thinking it was it was like you had explained it was that slob versus snob, but it had a few big names and it had you know great comedy, great timing, uh, you know, beautiful women that had all the oh, yeah. you know elements of that that a teenage boy you know you know was attracted to. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you? Uh, let's see. I was probably if it came out in '80, I may not have seen it till '82 or '80. You know, it may have been a couple of years okay. after. So I was probably, uh, you know, maybe 13 or 14. Okay, I was probably 11 or 12. I didn't see it in the theaters. That was that was the you know, ladies and gentlemen, especially you young folks out there. There was that period of once a movie hit the theaters, and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. And so then that's why the concept of home video, and then cable became such a revelation of, oh, crud, we missed it in the theaters, but now you have a second and a third chance. Because if I remember right, I believe it was film, then video, then cable. I think that's how the old system used yeah. to work. So, um, But it took a while. It did yeah. take a while. It it, you had to wait like six months yes. for a video to oh, come yeah. out. Yeah, yeah so it w- <laughs> and then there was a period where you knew a film was bad when it was able to come out on video in like two months. They, they, or <laughs> that's or right, yeah. one month. Get you quick, don't even remember it in the theater. Right, quick know. turnaround. So, yeah. Mike, how about you? I was uh, I was of drinking age when the movie came out. <laughs> so, Lucky. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I remember fondly, uh, just like Chris, you know, watched it on HBO endlessly with with my friends, and and uh, uh, it, it was it was like if if Porky's and American Graffiti had a baby, 
it would be the Hollywood Nights. Yeah, there is that look to it. I was, uh, like I said, I was about 11 or 12. And, yeah, listening to the uh, the director commentary by writer-director Floyd Mutrix, um, he referred to it as uh, – Animal House for the car for the car kids. Mm-hmm. I I of course like, kept thinking of it as an R-rated American graffiti um, because it does have similar images, themes, characters. True, yeah. Um, yeah the drag racing and all that kind of things. The cars, yeah. And, but it was a little bit not not quite as family friendly, you know. No. Oh heavens no! Oh <laughs> no no no! So uh, so yeah so but but watching it again again i watched it twice in one day i can't remember the last time i did that mm. but um uh, going through the the slob versus snob thing i i was funny i i've i've maybe it's a different generational thing but i remember showing my daughter who's now 14 i remember showing her the film version of mash and her saying how mean spirited it was if you think about yeah. the treatment of Hot Lip and Frank. Now, for me, of course, it was these guys thumbing their nose at any form of authority. It just so happens with these two individuals. So anyway, I found that interesting. But I was going through uh, thinking about how the pranks are pulled in this. And it does have an innocent feel to it. I mean, it's it's supposed to be Halloween of 1965. And there's little hints of, of things to come, like uh, the character of Jimmy, one of the Hollywood Knights who's got to go to Vietnam, and, sure. and, and the guys are treating it like it's World War II or Korea. Um, the fact that there aren't that many pledges into the Knights. There's little hints of music by the birds and um, and the Mamas, Mamas and the and Papas. Papas yep. Eight-track tape. So yep. there's, there's that kind of – and, of course, I think Floyd says in the commentary that really the 60s began in 1965. Which explains, if you think about the music in this, there's a mm-hmm. lot of 50s tunes Great in this. Great music, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and good luck getting this soundtrack. I mean, I think this is why it took so long for it to come out on video. It had the uh, WKRP Miami Vice disease <laughs> when it comes to song rights. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, we have and, – and the other thing is we have – let's see, one, we have the, the Hollywood Knights, we have Tony and Michelle, yeah. and we have Jimmy – so there's like yeah. three and and the pledges. So, and the pledges. I mean, so you got like four different there's subplots several plots going, on. going. Yeah, you're, right. You're, there's a lot like of a, stuff. It's going like on. an Altman film without the overlapping. So yeah, on this night we have a kid who's about ready to, to go overseas to go to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. We have a couple that are in you know late teen angst, even though they're in their twenties. All right, Danza <laughs> Danza was like 26. Michelle was not. Thank God, Tony Danza and a young Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Salute. Yeah. Um, then we have the pledges. We have four guys that are trying to get into the the car, uh, the, the car, car gang. So, uh, Mike, tell them how, tell them how they they get into the initiate the initiation is. The initiation was pretty simple. Uh, they uh, the uh, they took the, the the pledges and took away their clothes, gave them uh, spare tires. And told them they had to go to a record store in Watts in 1965. With a white DJ. With a white yeah. DJ. Uh, and, and get him to play a uh, a request song uh, that then the, the Knights had to hear while it's still at Tubby's. They had to do it before 2 a.m. Correct. So, yeah, naked with, with tires. Yeah, with tires. Four tires, and that's it. No clothes. And, uh, yeah, dropped off 
Uh, four white guys in the middle of Watts. Or as, as Newbaum Turk says, you're lucky. We Last year we put the pledges in a really bad neighborhood. <laughs> but, but there is that thing of and, – and I think Floyd says in the, in the coverage, he's like, doing it in 65 would be a little different than, say, 67, yeah. 68. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would, yeah. So it just kind of – you know, it's a slob comedy, folks. It's an R-rated grown-up. You know, this. You know, some of us were too young to see it. Probably when it came out, whatever. Um, <laughs> we're fine, but but it does kind of ride that rail of of really crossing for me crossing the line. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I think we had probably thicker skin back in in 1980. I think. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's one of those movies that if if you were new to it and and you grew up in say you know after the turn of the century. You're going to find a lot of stuff in this movie offensive. Yeah. Uh, but those of us of a certain age and a certain tolerance for such things, you know, it, it's still to this day one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I think Mrs. Sosi likes to use the term made by boys for boys. Yes, that's right. And uh, if you see what the knights do, especially when uh, new bombs taking photographs poolside and hanging out of trees. Yeah. and these hang- guys, Let's face it. These guys were, weren't your just – Typical. I mean, they were pretty creative, clever pranksters. I mean, it, these weren't just yeah. These were the, you, these weren't just ham and eggers. You did know? you learn a lot of pranks from this? Because there's a couple <laughs> things I discovered. Um, I, again, we're going to word this carefully. Um, I did not know about the one arm violinist. Yes. Until this film, this film also introduced me to the concept of filling a bag with something and setting it on yes. fire. Spiking the punch. Uh, sp- well, I knew spiking the punch was liquor. Didn't know it was Not that. liquor. Not li- yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Not liquor. So I, I hope you're rushing to Amazon now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so those those pranks and, of course, recording uh, the twins as they're talking in the bathroom, little, little things like that. Um, there is a moment in the film involving New Bomb Turk, played by Robert Wool, mm. in his film debut, and at the time was a writer for Rodney Dangerfield, which mm. explains a lot. Oh, yeah, it does. Because he, he tried getting a lot of his jokes in the film, and only a handful did. I can tell the punchline of one, his pants fit like a glove. Yes. <laughs> um, so apparently, you know, he tried out as many jokes as he could, but there is a moment at a pep rally. Okay, so I mentioned this is Halloween night, 1965. There is a pep rally and a, and a, and a dance-slash-talent show. At the high school. At the high school. Yes. Who holds a pep rally at night? Right. Did you ever have one at night? We, you, With a live band and, and, you know. And, well, and cheerleaders that forget certain clothing items. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and anyway, but I, I thought, really? I thought that was something you did in the daytime. During school. During school. Yeah. Am I right? Did you're, we, you're right. Did you? Oh, here, yeah. Okay. Here in Indiana, yes. But you're, it, you're that, right. that wouldn't have fit the script, though. Then no. they couldn't well, have. Well, I know that, that but, but I thought that was slightly weird of doing it at night. And then the same night you have a talent show and or a dance. Well, yes. that's a lot I, of activity. I always, I always thought that this movie was kind of built like a t- Quentin Tarantino movie, where it kind of jumps, oh yeah, forward and backwards, and from from scene to scene. It's just it's nothing but a series of little you know segues, right? Uh, little, little sketches that uh, that uh, you know, and then you move on to the next scene. You got more pranks, but and, but. Like there was that one scene you mentioned with with him recording in the bathroom. Well, he was just up a tree. In, in, in well, the... yeah, it's funny you mention that because as I as I was really studying this, and by the way, really studying it, there there is a <laughs> there is a secondary or thirdary character, the blonde kid who's the skateboard uh, sidewalk surfer, as yes. he is called. Yes, yes. Um, kind of tomboy, you know, not tomboy, but you know, kind of long haired, but smokes and and skate skateboards. But he's at Tubby's in one scene, and then he's in the pep rally. 
for a, the very next scene yes. when um, a cheerleader forgets an item of clothing. Right. But okay, so so what New Bomb ter- does in the pep rally, um, I will just say he he performs along with to the song Valare. Yes. And I was 11 when I saw this, and it was fall off the chair funny. Oh, yeah. I fell out of my chair laughing so hard, and I specifically remember that. There, you know, there's, a, there's only a, a couple of moments in my younger days where I I fell out of a chair or a couch laughing, and that was one of them. Yeah. And, and that was like, Nubom Turk is my hero. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who have you ever known that would pull something did, like that? that had the, did you, you do know. that for a while when you knew something was rumbling and you just sang to yourself, Volare. Okay, now, now each of us, each of us here has daughters, but we don't have sons, right? Yes. No, I do. I have two yeah, daughters. I have, yeah. I have, I have one daughter. You know what it is? It's poetic justice for our youth. Yeah. It's a punishment for being bad boys. Yeah. Would you have wanted to name a son Nubon? Heck no. <laughs> no. No, but I wouldn't want to name her Susie Q or Fran either. Yeah. Yeah. But... Fran Drescher, that's right. I mean, and we'll, and we'll get to her. Um, we'll get to her in a sec. But yeah. Um, and, and I didn't think, and that, I mean, the song was ruined. Well, not really ruined. It was, I think, immortalized. And and that is also a rare song because it has been immortalized twice. The second time, which actually my daughter did see, when Kevin Klein sings it in A Fish Called Wanda. Mm-hmm. When he's going through his, his, his myriad of Italian vocabulary to impress Jamie Lee Curtis. Thanks, Kev. Yes. <laughs> Enjoy the Oscar. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was a moment. I think that's funnier than... Oh, how should I put it? The um, the the yanking scene in Porky's. I know that's their kind of signature moment. Right. Yeah. Um, Although not the funniest scene in Porky's, we we can talk well, about that. Right. Later. Correct. I think I think most of the stuff in in Animal House. Animal House is a great film. I think, but I think for me, Volari was the five hundred and fifty foot home run out of the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. It just caught me at the right time. So yeah, um, we've mentioned earlier. So we mentioned, uh, you know, we have some cast, new cast members. So yeah, Tony Danza was the big name. Young Michelle Pfeiffer, who had just done a TV series of Animal House mm-hmm. called Delta House. Um, Robert Wool in his debut, and Fran Drescher, who, as as Floyd said, I guess was Miss New York in uh, when she was eighteen. Came to Hollywood, starred in the film he did before this. Do you remember American Hot Wax? Yes, yes. That's yeah, which explains a lot with Floyd. Uh, the story of Alan Freed with Tim McIntyre. Mm-hmm. I think also Jay Leno's film debut in that, and she is in that with a with the squeeze scene, which we can't really talk about. Then she had a one scene wonder where she grabbed John Travolta's tush in Saturday Night Fever, and then she got this film. Not a bad way to start no, out. No, no. Building up to Bobby Fleckman and then the nanny. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we you know we could do a myriad of Fran Drescher. We're not so, but you kind of get. But when we talk about UHF, we'll we'll get around to <laughs> it. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's so yeah. The, so you have these four different stories, and 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 Mutrix said he probably thought he maybe had too many characters, and as I was watching it, the the other. The other knights. I mean, you have Jimmy, and then you have Tony Danza's character. I believe is mm-hmm. Duke, um, which Mr. had Weedley. Yeah, you had the emotional scenes of those the older guys. Yeah, the older guys didn't take part in any of the hijinks of the movie. No, and I forgot there was one line exchange between Robert Wool and Tony Danza on the yeah. streets, and that's it. So yeah, that's that's a weird. But like the secondary yeah. guys that are in the car, the one who's trying to imitate James Dean, right? You know, really underdeveloped. Yeah, it looks like all of Danza's scenes were shot in a day. Probably yeah. were, but I mean, 
I mean, for for getting star billing, he's in like four scenes in the movie. And that's never that's never stopped a film before no. either. And and the fact that they, I guess, Tubby's and the garage were literally next to each other. So yeah. when one was up, the other was lit, and the other one was you know lights were off, and they were able to bang through that. I liked uh, during the scene of where they gave the uh, the car to Jimmy Shine at the end. They even you know he kind of broke character and, and called Tony Danza by his real name. Remember he said, "That's yeah. not is that." Yellow. That's Tony Danza. Yellow. I mean, it was. Right. Like, you it's, had to figure that wasn't in the script. It's yeah. not. Ju- you know what? Breaking character is not just for Mark Hamill anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> and also the fact that you know there there were emotional moments in a slob film long before Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I kept thinking back of well, like um, Peter Regert and Karen Allen in Animal House. That's your. That's probably your emotional core. Yeah. Um, there's your love. That's love your love story, story. Yeah. and and they really played it. They really played it well. And I th- I think Tony and Michelle are fine in the you know the quick scenes that they have together. Sure. Yeah. But it did seem secondary to the to the hijinks and the pranks. Yeah, we you we, know? we we wanted more pranks and more pranks, or yeah, or at least give story, us yeah. more Michelle Pfeiffer on roller skates. That's oh, true. I'm sorry. Was that me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. Um, Okay, so there, there's, there's also, so I think we've talked about the, so we have the slob characters, we have the lovers, um, we have the, the, uh, the kids that are doing the initiation. Um, we How have about the victims. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. We, have, we have the, we have the victims who are flawed for one thing. It would be, mm-hmm. you know, compared to say Dean Warmer, who really didn't have any. If they, if you know, if they caught Dean Warmer with his, with his pants down, that, mm-hmm. that, but that happens with Mrs. Friedman sure. and her lover, which the apparently. Whole, the yeah, whole that, movie developing you know, into this, so which know, which I think as a kid even added to it even more. Was here is these stuffy authority figures who are pointing the finger at everybody, but they're also having an affair. Yes, that really helped. Lee French in in a great role. Those of you who are of a certain age will remember her from the uh, Smothers Brothers comedy. Hour, yes, where she usually played a hippie. So this is really, uh, you know, a. a a 180 for her. Right. So, Mrs. Friedman? Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I believe, yeah, how's, how's it going? She played that oh, part hi. perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, she knocked that part out of the park, I thought. I mean, Yeah, that, I mean, it was the kind of perfect, uh, yeah. oh, north side suburb housewife we would expect. Right. Uh, Uptight, you know. Right. And then, of course, you know, there's, also a, there's also a grab at the beginning of the film. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, then we have, and I know Mr. Perry has a, uh, has a little connection to this. The police. Yes. <laughs> so Bimbo and Clark. Officer By the Bimbo, way, yes. it is not spelled B-I-M-B-O. <laughs> I looked it up. It's a Cajun spelling. Yes. E-A-U-X. Now, now, how do you pronounce his real name? The, the actor. Well, Gaylord Sartain. Thank you. Gaylord I, Sartain. I was trying to read it, and I, I, I don't even know how to pronounce Gaylord it. Gaylord Sartain, of course, best known as that one of those guys from Hee Haw. Right. And, uh, but, but Mr. Perry has a story. Story time, I folks. Uh, Gaylord Sartain was... Uh, Starred in a movie that I have a, uh, I was an extra in oh, called nice. Ernest Goes to Jail. I've heard of it. It was when I was uh, living down in Tennessee. Uh, I was working at a TV station there, and they came and asked if we'd be interested in uh, playing a news crew for this one scene that was actually shot at my bank. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we spent, uh, it was an all-nighter on the scene, and I played a photographer for, uh, for a news tr- uh, crew. And I'm in all of ten frames of this movie. My I was going to say, how long? How, how long did it? My, did it my last? ten frames of fame. But that's me. Less like me in Die Hard too. Thank God for the pause <laughs> button. You're like, tink, tink, tink. There but, I am. See? Yep, yep, that's me. But if you look real close, you can see me with my camera on my shoulder, looking up. 
as uh, uh, Ernest supposedly gets blown through the roof of the bank. And oh, you're, that and one, you're that one shot of it. Yeah. Yep. That one film where Ernest gets blown up. Yep. <laughs> so, now, did you did you were you able to approach him? Yes. Yes. We we actually spoke briefly in the uh, food service line. And you told him your butt was grass and he was a lawnmower. <laughs> nice. If I smell any rubber, no, Benedict Canyon. No, I, I I did mention to him that I I, I remembered him from Hollywood Nights. Did he appreciate? Because everyone re- remembers him from Hee Haw. So everybody yeah, says he, that. He, he he smiled. He he. I, I at least got a smile out yes. of it. Yes. Now he, I don't know. He, he, there, there was so many, so much. Ta- you know, I was going to say, he had his own. Did he steal the show? But New Bomb Turk was incredible. You know, you had all these angles coming at you, like these guys. There's this is a action packed, funny movie. In you know? in the commentary, uh, Floyd talks about that they would film like ten minute takes of Bimbo and Clark in the car. They would just go. He he apparently he barely gave Gaylord like very little direction, if anything. He mm-hmm. as he said he knew where the jokes were. So there's there's a scene where Bimbo is stuck in the bathroom while the, and of course the guy the knights have flooded the toilet, stuffed mm-hmm. it down full of toilet paper. Locked him in there, yeah. Folks, don't do this at home. Or <laughs> and, you know what? Don't do this in public either. <laughs> just or don't pri- do this. Just don't do it. So anyway, they stuff it down, and there there's the moment where Bimbo has to you know use the facilities. Oh, by the way, the the tearing of the magazine and ripping it, ruffling it up, his idea. Nice. <laughs> so you just let the camera roll. He'll come up with something. So. And then, of course, the door is locked, and there's trash spewed in the front, and then, uh, yeah, things start to. But that was all him. It was just like kind of put the camera there. He'll make it funny. He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember he even like murmured to himself like Clark. You know, he's yeah. like thinking about like the, all the stuff his partner was saying that made him mad. But the guess. scenes in the car. Now you heard one where yeah they would they would go for ten minutes. See, I I jokingly. Not jokingly said, I wish Criterion would put out a two-disc set of the Hollywood Nights with commentary and essays and all that. I'd love to see the extended scenes. I'd love to see Clark and Bimbo in the car for ten minutes going yeah. Yeah. off. The would... chemistry was good. I mean, that was two two perfect casts for those two parts. Yep. You know? And how would you like, like to hear the commentary today? Get Tony Dan's in there. Get Robert Wool in there. Yeah, Fran Drescher. There's got to be a film festival in L.A. that just wants to have another screening of this. Please, somebody yeah. do this, and then and then invite us. <laughs> Please, because <laughs> most of them are still around too. Oh yeah, why yeah. not? <laughs> but yeah, the, so yeah, and of course we played with with uh, with Mike's cut earlier of the argument they the arguments over Lawrence of Arabia, which is now forever burned in my head. Does it have Does it ha- actually have lyrics or not? And and then you know the the argument over Herp Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. <laughs> Plus, Gaylor says something. Well, let's. I'm going to word again. We're wording this carefully. As children and young adults, we have certain words that we use when we call shenanigans on somebody, um, usually starting with the bull. Right. Thanks to him, we added horse. Right. <laughs> we and added it was horse. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, because, well, boy, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Hollywood Nights. <laughs> it sounds Nights. good the way it rolls off your tongue like <laughs> it, that. It eh? does. And there's a great scene where the, the PTA is having their meeting, and the guys are yelling at each other in the kitchen, finally, yes. where there's just a pause in the conversation. You hear, horse. <laughs> <laughs> That was a beep, folks. It was, um, I mean, it's like we—it's like you know—you open up a can of worms. We start talking about this film, and all <laughs> the millions of funny little parts start coming back to you. And, and most of them we can't really talk about. No, yeah, we that's can. true. That's but true. those who've seen it, yes, yeah, you you're know, welcome. you'll get it. You yeah. know exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was going back. Um, yeah, I also I'm, I'm I'm going through my notes. Yes, right here, folks. Notes like Jim Rome. Um, yeah, there was the other. So there's we have a talent contest, and there's guys in their 
30s playing 50s rock and roll, mm-hmm. and the kids are really dig- – I mean, it was – again, this was before – the, the there wasn't really a representation of the generation gap right. that was really going to hit with the the mid sixties, but I know I think it was a guy who from Jay and the Americans was a part <laughs> of that band and put that together. Um, yeah, there there's also we we mentioned earlier the the one arm violinist. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing I, I and I just discovered this last month, and so I I thank my DVR for this. But um, um, I'm going to say, Chris, if I made an intro for you, it would probably be the censored words of Mr. Ketzenberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, there's the there, another staple in the slob comedies is the old person. There's there's usually like one old person that's either on the receiving end or witnesses something, and yeah, there he, is an old European gentleman who points out things. Points out the obvious loudly, yes, yes. yes loudly, <laughs> and and of course that's the, the nothing gets by him the whole no, movie. not quite, not at all, not the punch, not the uh, violinist, nothing, <clears throat> and uh, but what's funny is with these films, yeah, we we talked about there's like two dozen characters in this film, but they're burnt into our memory yes. because the film is that memorable, um, and if you saw them in anything else after this, you're like, hey, it's so. I remember this happened with Animal House and Caddyshack mm-hmm. and Porky's. You're like, oh, hey, it's so and so. So I, I and I couldn't think of seeing this guy in anything else until he was the subplot in one of the most famous episodes of Barney Miller. Care to care to think which one? Which one of the most famous episodes of Barney Miller? Uh, no, don't know. The one involving the hash brownies. Oh, yeah. the guys, of course. That an episode where um, I believe it's Wojo's girlfriend. He, of course, dates women from the other side of the tracks, brings a plate of brownies and doesn't tell him that it's filled with hash. And everybody in the precinct, including Fish, digs in. <laughs> so Only but, in the 70s. Right. But the secondary plot is there are two gentlemen, older gentlemen, who are arrested. One was a theater actor that's played by this guy and then a theater critic. They're both Polish. And they got into a fight in the streets over a bad review. And I'm like, hey, it's the... Guy who That's yells from Hollywood about, Nights, yeah, who yells those things we can't say. So little things like that. So thank sure. you, IMDb and DVR for that. Um, gosh, I'm just I'm I'm going through all this. Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going through the uh, the cast list now, see if I can find his name. Uh, I think I have it written down over here. Yes, I'm going through my things as well. Um, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit. We have uh, Walter Janowitz yeah. as Martin Katzenberg, who was in Barney. Now, for you TV buffs, that's you, Mike. For, he was Oscar Schmittner in Hogan's Heroes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it was also he also played an Amish guy in The Frisco Kid and played a rabbi in the Neil Diamond version of The Jazz Singer. Wow. <laughs> Among other things. I know. This is your your Okay. Um, one other thing I I know we haven't gotten to just yet, and we were talking about the tone and the spirit and the, and the pranks. One thing that really kind of resonated, and it took me a long time to figure this out, um, is, you know, of course, the knight's pranks toward authority are very, you know, direct and to the point. But there's also a character, and this is another stock character in the slob comedies, the nerd slash outcast 
the honor student Dudley, played by Stuart Pankin. That's right. Who, by the way, was 33 years old when he did this film. Playing he, a high school student. He yeah. is right up there. He now ties with Stocker Channing in Greece. I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say was, Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid. No, 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 no. I, I thought Stocker. I, I, I had to correct myself on these very airwaves. I thought she was 36 when she played Rizzo. No, my bad. Only 33. Uh, 33. Um, but yeah. Oh, by the way, Tony Danza was 26. Robert Wool was 26. Gaylord was 30, right, but that's yeah. okay. Fran was 20. Michelle was 22. Um, and Gary Graham, who played Jimmy, was 22. Yeah. 27. I'm sorry, 27. So, eh, but about uh, 10 years older than their part was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, basically. But, but yeah, a Stuart Pankin, classically trained actor, had already done the San Pedro Beach Bums TV series before this. and One season? One season. I remember. I, I remember that when it came on as a kid, and I don't think it made it to the end of the season. It before. didn't. No, it did not. And then I, I later saw him. I was like, "Hey, it's Dudley." When he did, uh, not necessarily the news yes. right. on HBO, mm-hmm. but the treatment of Dudley. So Dudley has this overbearing mother, and he's just a you know kind of a dumpy guy and trying to get his award. Very sheltered. And, Very and sheltered, he is yeah. he is abducted not once, not t- but twice by the knights for New Bomb's uh, nefarious plans. But they treat him gentle. Yeah. And then that. It's not mean spirited at no, all. No. And, and the first one, you're not quite sure. The second one, of course, he, he got to see ladies' body parts. Mm-hmm. And as they were blindfolding him, they gave him a beer. <laughs> they did, yes. So, yep. so between that and then there's a really nice part, the second half, near the end of the film, right. where he helps. Um, he helps delay the police from chasing after some of the guys, and then he becomes part of the gang. Yeah, and eventually gets a jacket at the very end. That's right. That's he's right. holding. Yeah. He's holding. Jimmy. I had never seen that before in a film, if I remember right, where an outsider, somebody that far outside the realm, is brought in. Right. Can you guys think of another? I mean, I I can't really. You you could argue, you know, flounder in Animal House. but To a certain degree. But, but Animal House was all, you know. He's kind of pledging that. And... Or or I guess, um, and it's not even that, but I, I immediately think of Mackenzie Phillips in American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. But but that's different, and that's more that's more emotional, uh, not really romantic, although she wants it to be. Uh, but, yeah, that, that anyway, that, that really resonated with me, and it took me a long time to figure out why. You'd think with all the, the you know, the, the action going on in this film and all the different scenes and different people and, that there'd be even room for one more guy like that. You right. Know, it's like, this is, I could just remember thinking these guys did so much stuff in one night. You know, it was like, I mean, it was like a weekend's worth of pranks in about six I hours. Know, you, you, you felt bad. You're like, God, I'm really behind. If I, we, we of course never TP'd anybody or. Oh, did no, it. No, the, no. Oh, I think also, I think also the potato and the tailpipe. The, yes. There was long yep. before, four years before the banana and the tailpipe in Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Again, folks, please don't do this. Yeah. It's, it's just what we read. Well, I'm, I'm going through the, the cast list now and. Even now, there are faces popping up that, were they in that movie, really? I'll, I'll tell you one that's funny is um, one of the guys in, who was in the initiation, I, I saw as a comic later on HBO, Mike Bender. And Mike Bender yeah. did, you know, he's done a little bit of acting, but he's now directing. And writing. He, he did uh, uh, The Contender. He did... Um, Wait. Are you sure? I thought that was Rod Lurie, because I know he directed The Upside of Anger. Right. With Joan Allen yes. and Kevin Costner, black or white with Kevin Costner and Octavia Spencer. Did he have a part in the contender? He might have had a part in the contender. We'll have to check think, on that. Yeah. And then he also directed um oh gosh, that's gonna bother me. Oh, uh Rain Over Me. Yeah. With Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle. So Joyce Heiser. Remember Joyce Heiser? Joyce Heiser? Uh huh. 
She was one of the uh, Weintraub sisters. Yes, and the other one was the daughter of Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson. Wow. Wow, man. That's yeah, cool. and Cindy Williams' sister is one of the blondes. There, yeah, there's there's also, again, we, we talk about underwritten characters, but they, they have an impression. There's there's a blonde, you know, right out of central casting, tall, blonde, skinny surfer guy named Tarzan with two blonde beauties on each arm. Jane and Cheetah. J- th- thank yeah. you. Jane and yeah. Cheetah. Um, again, don't name your kids that. Um, but, but there is, and there's also that moment of car culture versus sur- surf culture. It's only a couple minutes. And then they go away, but I mean they do tap into, because yeah, in the in the fifties, especially with, you know American Graffiti is set in nineteen sixty two, and that and of course it's it's away from the beach if I remember right, I think it's Central California, but yeah, car culture and surf culture were different, and they dug each other, but I think they were kind of rooted one way or another, almost right. like Beatles, Snow, Beatles and Stones. Yes, he was in the Contender, Mike Binder. Okay, all right, so you were you were you were good there. Yeah. Um, also found out the cinematographer was a guy named William Fraker, who, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five nominations wow. for cinematography. <laughs> nice. Before working on The Hollywood Nights, in one year, did the cinematography for Rosemary's Baby and Bullet, Exorcist II, The Heretic, Sharky's Machine, love wow. Burt Reynolds in that film, um, later did Honeymoon in Vegas, but he got nominated for doing cinematography for Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Heaven Can Wait, mm-hmm. 1941, and War Games. So not bad for just a little $3 resume, million dollar yeah. picture. Yeah. yeah, And, yeah, there's little things. Um, you, were, you were saying earlier, Chris, there's, there's a, of course, you have to have the drag racing scenes, which do nothing to move the movie along. No. Just I think the fact that they had the two Chinese guys and one of them was a famous car painter and the fact that they didn't, they didn't get permits, of course. Right. Of course. Directors, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but there's two drag races. One, um, and I think they're both set to What I Say by Ray Charles, but one that the Chinese guys win, and of course in the second one, USA wins. So That's right. Yeah. That. That's right. And everybody cheers. <laughs> um, oh, Fraker also did uh, Close Encounters and Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. That's not bad. <laughs> two blockbusters, huh? Exactly. So, um, yeah, so anyway, it, it's just fascinating with. All of this going on. There's so many scenes and moments, and even like I said, even if they're under underwritten, I think of the, there's two knights that are in the car and they're worried about the future of the gang right. and what they're going to do. And there was already a couple of well, there were a couple of gang films of different styles before this. You had the Warriors, of course, uh, Walter Hill's film that looked like futuristic. It felt like futuristic New York, even though it was late seventies New York. Uh, and the Wanderers. Yes. And the Wanderers. You've seen that. I've seen that many times. You've no. seen. The, you haven't seen the Wanderers. The Wanderers. No. Really. It's, uh, Bronx. Ooh. Gangs Ken, of the of Ken the, Wall. Yep. Karen Allen. Um, the guy who played the guy Meat played in Perry. Porky's. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He. Oh, you gotta find that. I okay. should let you borrow. It's. It I think is, I saw the Wanderers also on HBO. Oh yeah, <laughs> that thing was on constantly. Yeah. And and that was another film that mixed. The end of the 50s with the beginning of the 60s, because mm-hmm. you had the scenes with the Baldies yep. and the Ducky Boys, which mm-hmm. were terrifying. Yes. Um, and so you have this gang that's 
again, they look like they're in their mid-20s playing high schoolers. I mm-hmm. guess that's a thing. Uh, you know, if you're in your mid-30s, you can be in college. Look at Tim Matheson and Up the Creek. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but there is moments of when their world, you know, the outside world is starting to peek in. Like Karen Allen's character, of course, is becoming sort of an independent female. She reads D.H. Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. <laughs> Different Lawrence. Um, but there's also a scene at the end where uh, Ken Wall's character follows her and she goes into a coffee shop and there's some skinny guy with big hair and a guitar. Robert Zimmerman? Right. Singing the times they are changing. Yes. And then there's two gang members that, well, one comes from an abusive household mm-hmm. and they leave and they're going to San Francisco. And it was funny because you're watching this and you're like – yeah, it could be an easy punchline of oh, two guys are moving into Frisco together, right? But you're not sure, and you're not 100. percent Maybe, maybe not. But it didn't matter because it's two really nice performances and and a pretty decent storyline with those guys. Oh yeah. And there's there are moments of that uh, we, we said before in in this film with uh, with the references to Vietnam, mm-hmm. with the music by the Birds and music by uh, the Mamas and the Papas. Um, yeah, really, really impressed with just just bringing it up. Yeah. So, you Heck know, yeah. you know what? Let's let's take a short break and then uh, we'll gather our notes and we'll continue talking about the Hollywood Nights because we can. You're listening <laughs> to a very special film sociology here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoci at WFYI.org. Also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Soci. Hanging out with Mike Perry and Chris Elberfeld, talking about the Hollywood Nights because we can. We can make a whole show devoted to this. And yes, no one can. else will. That's right. So that if not us, then who? Who will? I mean, honestly, that I remember the first time we started talking about it. My, you know, it was like, hey, here's somebody who knows this movie. I, you don't run into people every day that know this movie. And by the way, hard to quote that movie at work. At least yeah. our work. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you were very at, clever. Yeah. If you worked at Smitty's Garage, maybe and maybe Tubby's, but we don't. We're here. Yeah, we we learn to be clever and know when not to say stuff. We would or we would do like half of it. So we would right. Read, so we, we, the good we, half. We would suggest you know what it is, but not finish. It's all like it. when I would do Abdul with radio with Abdul, and we start quoting Python or R- Richard Pryor until we can't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There is a line. There, there is a line there. So, okay, we there was something we talked about in the first two thirds of the show. We're in the last third. Um, there's, there's sort of a correction, and now I have to go watch it again to see what is actually said. Mike, you have an update. Yeah, breaking news on a 35 year old <laughs> film line right? update. 
Okay, we were talking about the scene where, where they're giving Jimmy the, 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 the beautiful car, the beautiful yellow car, mm-hmm. uh, hot rod. And I'll, I'll read from uh, IMDb the, the trivia section for Hollywood Nights. It says, when the crew is uh, gathered in Smitty's speed stop around the Ford, Duke, Tony Danza, asks, is this? Blank yellow. Yellow. Feeding. Do, urine yellow? There you urine, go. Yeah, yeah, that's, good. that's good. We yeah. can say that in a Now, everyone thinks the, uh, the answer that c- comes back is it's Tony Danza yellow, but it's not really. Okay. It's, it's Tony Nancy yellow because Tony Nancy, a, a Southern California car customizer and drag racer known for his yellow cars, was involved with the making of the film. Right. So, uh, but if you go back to quotes, the quotes uh, in IMDb, Still say Tony Danza yellow. So it could be. It could be. Or hold me closer, Tony Danza. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, we're going to get the movie back out. And we're we're going to settle this once cr- and for all. You know what, I, Criterion, I probably, there's five minutes on, on your disc for this line alone, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, we were talking earlier about how many times we've seen it. And, you know, I've, I've probably seen this movie over 50 times. Maybe Easily. 75. And, you and, know? and, and this includes and I, HBO. And this yeah. includes HBO and I've still to this day, until Mike just said that, thought it was Tony Danza. See, this is the beauty of a piece of art. It changes. You change over time, even though the film does not. See that? Take that, George Lucas. Yeah. (laughs) Don't mess with it. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Or the tailpipe. Don't really know. I I think the bigger explosions are kind of (laughs) cool. And new bomb shot first. (laughs) Well, there is a scene with him and Fran. Another scene with they apparently yeah, he which shot we, early. Which we, yeah. <laughs> Moving on, yeah. uh, but apparently that also went on for ten minutes because oh, you had yeah. Robert Wool and Fran Drescher, two vocal titans that uh, could knock people over verbally, and uh, they kind of there. There is a scene where they're kind of overlapping, and he finally he finally exclaims, "He's glad he did what he did." Right. So there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he, anyway, he we, achieved Nirvana. How about that? Right. Let's yeah. Let's yeah, move on fast. Um, did, so yeah, I probably see Chris. I probably see it just as many times because of cable. Now it's one yes. thing if we rented it fifty. You yeah. Might as well just buy the damn thing when it all because it's I, all I said think and done. One of my friends had uh, recorded it off of HBO, uh, so they yes. had the yeah. the the blank uh, cassette, cassette, you know, VHS, or VHS, beta. VHS yeah, cassette. That we probably watched till it wore out. So there, know? there are certain, and of course, there are certain scenes where the tape is a little more worn. <laughs> Absolutely, than others. yes. Pause. Yeah, like the, w- the scene we were just talking in about. 1981. I'm like, I wish I had 500 dollars for a video printer. This would rule. Mm. <laughs> Again, don't do this at home. No. <laughs> you kids have it so easy these days. But we we like do it was, here, so you don't have to. <laughs> like we were saying, though, this is a film that you know was overlooked by a lot of people. I mean, there's, there's how many people our age probably don't even know what it is. Right. And so, anyway, looking looking back at the film career of uh, Floyd Mutrix, who I know he's, he's done a little bit of musical theater production, and there's some lawsuits with that, but we won't talk about that. But, like, in 1971 was his film debut, which he wrote and directed, called Dusty and Sweets McGee, which is in the Warner Archives. I believe it's two lovers who grow into drug addiction. 1975, and I only got this because I knew he was involved with it, but there was a film called Aloha, Bobby, and Rose with Paul Lamatt 
and Diane Hull. Yeah. And this was this was so of course Paul Lamatt was in American Graffiti and because of the success of American Graffiti almost everybody in that film got a starring vehicle and this was his. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of if you and Tim McIntyre who we'll get to in a little bit. Um it was kind of a modern day Bonnie and Clyde if Bonnie and Clyde were on the Sunset Strip in 1974 <laughs> with also great music don't know where they got the rights to it. Um I always remember a great shot of uh the Sunset Strip with Junior Walker and the All-Stars playing in nice. that. Uh, Tim McIntyre is in this film. He would play Alan Freed in in his film American Hot oh, Wax, wow. which I remember seeing in the theaters with my parents. That came out in 78. And of course, uh, Freed, the famous rock and roll DJ. And at that time, they were able to get Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, and was it Little Richard, I believe? I think who, so. Yeah. Who are who play themselves at the uh, the big rock the first rock and roll concert? Then of course the Hollywood Nights in 1980, and then uh, a film with Rick Schroeder. Yeah, he was Rick then in 1990, 1994 called "There Goes My Baby." He would also have story or screenplay credits for "Freebie and the Bean," mm. James Caan and Alan Arkin, um, "American Me," the film starring and directed by Edward James Olmos. Um, Blood In, Blood Out, which was the Taylor Hackford film. Um, I believe Benjamin Bratt was in that. Three-hour film about living in uh, the uh, the Chicano version section of Los Angeles. And then he had a story credit for Mulholland Falls, the uh, the Hat Squad film with uh, Nick Nolte back uh, back in 1996. So another really underrated film. Really, if yeah. you if you enjoy you know Those guys wearing hats, guys wearing hats and kicking butt and taking names. So anyway, um, yeah, but yeah, fascinating. And Floyd Mutrix is still Mutrix is still around. He has a website. You can go check it out. Yeah, you can tell him. You know, we're talking about his work here yeah. at NPR. It lives. Um, it does live. So uh, we were talking earlier about the the where where does the history where does the R rated slob comedy begin? And, and some people would say. Animal House, but I was going through, and and I'm sure there's a myriad of smaller titles that I'm forgetting, so I can't wait for your emails. But I think the first one for me is 1974 and Blazing Saddles. Yes, yeah. Um, which you you were telling a story earlier earlier of showing it to young folks and didn't quite have the same resonance uh, reaction as we did. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was working with a bunch of 20 year olds, and I was 30 some at the time, and we were talking about uh, movies that really made us laugh and to this day blazing saddles can make me laugh out loud and blow yep. you know whatever i'm drinking right through my nose it, but and they'd never seen it and so i invited them over to the house and showed it to them and they were absolutely appalled particularly at the number of times white men say the n-word right and it, it, back in the 70s it was, it was it was even pushing the envelope back in the 70s correct but you know when we, when you have Richard Pryor as one of the writers, and also, that's going to happen. And also the fact that, and this was that Pryor didn't do all the quote unquote black jokes. Right. You know, Mel Brooks wrote a lot of those, but uh, they were just it ruined the entire movie for them. Wow! So you know, they they didn't even make it to the uh, to the uh, campfire scene before they were just totally disengaged. Wow, we're old. Yeah. We're old and have different different generations. That's too bad. Yeah, I mean, to me, that they don't get Mel Brooks. Then they they need to maybe see some of his other films. young Frankenstein silent movie. Yeah. Right, boy, the producers, Spaceballs. There you go. Okay, so <laughs> also in 1974, um, The Longest Yard. Nice, thank you, Bert. And The Groove Tube. Oh yeah, that of course this. And there's a couple of those films that come later in the decade of their 
basically before SNL, there was uh, okay. adult sketch comedy. Kentucky Fried Movie. We're, yes, that's one of those. Tunnel as well. Vision Actually, was another mm-hmm. one. Tunnel Vision. Um, can I do it till I? Can I do it till I need glasses? Yeah. Which had Robin Williams. Really cheap, quickly made mm-hmm. film. But yeah, nineteen seven. So next, nineteen seventy seven, Kentucky Fried Movie. Um, 1978, of course, you have Animal House, and that really blew it up. That um, also in 1978, Up in Smoke, nice, yep. um, cool, nice and charm. And yeah. you would people would probably say that the apex of the R-rated slob comedy could be 1980, because in one year, ladies and gentlemen, you have Caddyshack, The Hollywood Nights, yep. Airplane, mm-hmm. History of the World Part One, Used Cars. And Mad Magazine's Up the Academy. What about the other uh, Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder? They get locked stir in crazy. Stir no, crazy. I don't. I don't that... think that's a slob comedy. I think because because one of the things that and I'm I'm almost leery to put Airplane on this list, and to a certain degree, blazing. I think we're thinking of. Uh, I think you know the horny guys chasing after girls. Right. On. It has yeah. to be a major or at least a minor. Part of that, sorry, folks, that's what it is. Um, slight degree of immaturity to it. Slight, yeah, yeah slight yeah. degree of that. And those were all in one year. Right. 1981, you had Stripes. And in 1982, in one year, Porky's. And then my my friend Erin, she put she put in two guesses as we were, she had asked him what we were going to be talking about on social media. One of her guesses was used cars. Right. Love used cars. Classic, yeah. yep. Thank you, Kurt Russell. But she also she also asked if we were going to talk about Night Shift. I love Night Shift. Uh, not sort of, yes. Sort of, yeah. Kinda, yeah. But not, yeah. A, not a complete. Maybe it, no it, teenagers, but although there's a little Clint Howard character, maybe, but. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, these were, I think, yeah, these were films. I think these are all a part of our canon. Well, us three. I don't know about you yeah. guys, but. Uh, well, that was, yeah. Night Shift was uh, Billy Blaze Jowski. Uh, <laughs> that was Michael Keaton's kind of first Right out big, the gate. Right? I yep. Mean, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, Henry his Winkler. character was so funny. I remember. Yeah, that was supposed to be the movie to make a, a movie star out of Henry Winkler, and it it did it not really kind of made well, a movie star out of Michael Keaton. Yeah, it did, and and uh, salute to Shelley Long. Yeah. Um but but yeah, because well, he had already had a couple of films after because he was in Heroes and yes. the uh, One the, and Only Heroes. And the was, Lords of was Flatbush. Sad, though, wasn't it? Well, that Lord of Flatbush. Lords of Flatbush was before Happy Days. That's seventy four. Okay. But this were these were at the during his during his reign on Happy Days. Where, mm-hmm. So he had three attempts at being a movie star during the series, and they, 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 even even sadly, uh, Night Shift didn't do that well. No. Although again, it's it was on cable constantly. Right, I and, love it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. This and we yeah we can quote Michael Keaton quite a bit. Not on this show, of course. I just love the plot in that movie. You know, let's take a uh, a funeral home, uh, you know, graveyard shift, so to speak. You know, and. Uh, Open up a side business on top of it, and and it was also you know um, the young upstart who had just gotten out of uh, the Roger Corman school of filmmaking and <laughs> got to do a major picture for Warner Brothers. Way to go, Ron! Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Whatever uh, became of him? I um, I think he did a Moby Dick film last year. Oh, cool. So, uh, <laughs> well, look, we got a few more minutes before we we wrap up on this very special film, Sociology Hollywood Nights. Um, I, and I'm already going to date the show already because we have we have a moment for dead people we like because we never have time for dead people we don't like. And I hope I'm saying this right. And I'm sorry if I'm if I say it wrong. Pardon my uh, my anyway. Actor Bert Kwok, K W O U K. Who was born in England died uh, on May twenty fourth at the age of eighty five. Gentleman, did he did a lot of TV, he did quite a few movies, but if anything else, you will always remember him 
as Cato. Oh yeah, the Pink Panther. Yeah, Inspector Clouseau. Right. So it, and and you know, if there's time at the end, maybe you know, I'm not the first one to say. Of course, at his funeral, he will jump out of the casket and, yes. and, and, and attack Clouseau <laughs> with, with a stick and beat you down. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he he is. I should say this because we we do this quite often. You've you've witnessed Mike on the show. The man had a full career. He had a full working career, and he's going to be best known for attacking Peter Sellers. Yep. Right. And and it's funny as hell. It's Play, really, playing a part with with very few lines. No. You know? And the great moment of they're fighting, and no matter what happens, if the phone rings, he answers it. Yes. That's a good. <laughs> he service. stays loyal. Yes. And and yes, college students. Yes, he shouldn't. Clouseau shouldn't have called him his little yellow friend. Yeah. I got it. But the right. fight scenes are funny as hell. Yeah. Yes. So especially the slow motion. They, yeah, they I th- and you know what? That might have been for a bunch of us our introduction to the concept of the joke in slow motion. Yes. So I'm looking back to see what else he had done before, especially if you're a TV or a bit player. You know what other things? That's that's not a reflection of your career, sir. No. Um, films like Passport to China, The Sinister Man from the 1960s. Uh, of course, Shot in the Dark. He played Mr. Ling in Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Um, was in three different episodes in the early 60s of The Avengers. Uh, of course, he was in The Brides of Fu Manchu with everyone's favorite Asian actor, Christopher Lee. Um, <laughs> was uncredited in Casino Royale. Was Spectre number 3 in You Only Live Twice. Played Chairman Peng in The Shoes of the Fisherman. Uh, was in The Chairman, Deep End. Of course, all the Pink Panther films. Was the Doctor in Rollerball, the original Rollerball, oh, the James only Conn, one yes. that matters. That's yeah, right. that remake is terrible. That was another one I saw on HBO. Constantly. Yes. Great stuff. Uh, the last remake of Bo Geist. Bo Jest, sorry. Um, played Lin Futu in 1982 in Doctor Who. Um Films like Plenty, he played Mr. Chen in Empire of the Sun, was in Kiss of the Dragon, Carry On Columbus. And one of the last things he did was, I think in 2010, he was in several episodes of Last of the Summer Wine for you PBS people out there. Are you Teleclub members? There you go. So, Bert, thank you. You made us laugh. We appreciate it. Thank you. So, gentlemen, uh, we just got a couple minutes. Closing thoughts on The Hollywood Nights, Chris. Well, uh... I'm probably going to go home and watch it again today. <laughs> so we once I start talking about it, I need to go back and, and, and feed my imagination. Have, have you been. forced this film on your family yet? They, they wouldn't get it. I mean, my wife and my my two daughters would not. They would they would probably walk out of the room and say, well, "This is stupid," or something. You know, but uh, and they'd be right. But but that's still, that's, that's why it's funny. Yeah, that's why it's right. funny. Uh, if you if you haven't seen the movie, see if you can you know rent a copy or stream it or you know. Check check Amazon. You can get it at a very reasonable price. Yes, uh, and and just let it flow over you. Don't try to think too much about it. Just <laughs> no. enjoy the little sketches. Sketch we're sketch we're still quoting sketch. it thirty five years later. You're making it sound like a Kubrick film. It's <laughs> like two thousand one. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it, but it but it does have Robert Wool. It does have Fran Drescher, I, I, Tony Danza, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer, Stuart Pankin. I mean, there are some. Big names. You know what? I still, I still think it's. And I'm sure Robert Wool would tell me to go bleep myself, but I think it's his best work. And this is the man who created Arliss and was in Batman. Yeah, so. I agree though. I, that his character of Nubom Turk was. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be not the your blu- ordinary no. guy. It was supposed know? to be the Bluto of the group, and uh, well, I guess it was. But but he had a very. It seemed like a very high IQ. This is a very smart guy, not just a prankster. But except a, when he messes with his brother's El Camino. <laughs> that's true. Oh, the pie wagon. Oh. Uh, and yeah, so anyway, um, gentlemen, we have some words to live by. 
Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. He's an English guy. He came to fight the Turkish. Okay, Clark, right there. That's what I'm talking about. Lawrence of Arabia doesn't have any lyrics to it. Doesn't have any words. What do you mean doesn't have lyrics? It's music. To it? It's music. Hey, I've seen the movie four times. And there were no words to it. What do you? There mean? are no words to that. There are, hey, you, did you hear what I was saying earlier? Somewhere I know that somebody I think wrote lyrics to this song. Go see this great movie. You deserve it, whether you know it or not. Chris, Mike, thanks for hanging out. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to a very special film sociology, The More You Know. So go find this. I own a copy of it. You're on your own. I'm happy to own this. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. Close those residents. Ah! It's the fin. The fin is ringing.